if you have a Bible, Proverbs chapter 6 is where we're going to begin. This message uh, began last weekend. That's always kind of true. Our series is kind of tend to be ideas that we, we begin and kind of stay with. But this message, literally, I got to the end of my time last week, and I had not even got to half of the sermon, which kind of was wonderful uh, because I was like, well, that's going to make studying easy this week. <laughs> But God's so annoying, he gave me all kind of new stuff too. So I've got half the message from last week. I have so many new things that God has given me. And uh, I'm excited. If you're excited, say, I'm ready. ready. Proverbs 6, starting in verse 20, it says, My son, keep your father's command and do not forsake the law of your mother. He's speaking poetically here about the power of scripture, that a father and a mother are supposed to impart to their children. Now, of course, just as much as the author of the book of Proverbs is speaking to the child in this case, there's also an implied command to the parents, isn't there? How can the child treasure the command not given by the parent? So it is on the parent to make sure they are doing their due diligence of giving God's word to their kids. So as you whisper with your kids at bedtime, as you tuck God's word into their heart, as you prioritize being in the house, as you prioritize uh, the, the imparting of, of, of truths about what God's done in your life and how much they matter. And not just at church and not just like at family devotional hour. Everyone come around, come gather hither and thither as father unpacks the scripture as mother. You know, it, it, the Bible says like while you're on the way, while you're driving, while you're cooking meals. Like, there's always times to like, hey, it's kind of like this. I mean, that was a Jesus preached. Jesus wasn't like, it is the sermon hour. I am on a mount. Here we go, right? He'd be like, hey, look at that bird. Hey, guess what? God loves you more than he loves birds. He'd be like, awesome sermon, right? Just on the go. So I think some of the best instruction moments as parents are when we're not in, you know, where, where everyone's expecting it to come. And so anyhow, I just wanted to throw that out there. It's, it's, it's you know, so important that we as parents, if we do anything, that we, we point our kids to Jesus. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, he said, before your child gets to seven, teach him how to get to heaven. And better yet, the work will thrive if it's done before age five. <laughs> Pretty good. And it rhymes, so it's got to be anointed. It's a, just a rule somewhere in the Bible. So my son, keep your father's command. Verse 20, do not forsake the law of your mother. What do you do with them? Bind them continually upon your heart. I don't know why I went up here. Heart's down here. Bind them continually. I don't even know why that needed a motion. It's... <laughs> when you roam, tie them around your neck. Oh, good. Okay, that's why I did it. Tie them around your neck. When you roam, they will lead you. When you sleep, they will keep you. And when you awake, they will speak with you. For the commandment is a lamp, and the law a light. It's amazing to think about how different the world would be without dreamers. How many of us at some point in our lives have referenced Terminator? You know, like, it's impossible to leave or party that you're going to come back to without kind of like a I'll be back, a bad Arnold Schwarzenegger impersonation, right? How many guilty as charged do we have? Of course, I'll be back, right? It's like iconic in our culture. Did you know that movie wouldn't exist had James Cameron not had a dream? And it wasn't even a good dream. It was a bad dream. It was a fever dream, 102 degrees Fahrenheit. And in his dream, a deranged, demon-possessed robot with no legs was crawling its way across the ground with a knife to stab him. And he woke up inspired. And that's how we have the Terminator. It was a dream. 
It was a bad dream. <laughs> Avatar apparently came to him the same exact way. Scientific breakthrough. Did you know that both the model of the atom and the illustration of the double helix, which informed in 1953 our understanding of the sequence of DNA that by the trillions is inside of your body, both of those were things that were given, pictures that were given to scientists in their dream who woke up and, and were able to, to, to illustrate them differently than they had ever been understood before, all because of dreams. Music. Uh, Keith Richards, apparently, of the Rolling Stones would regularly uh, sleep with a tape recorder by his bedside uh, on, on a table and a guitar, because sometimes you just wake up at 2 a.m. and you have a riff in your head, and so, you know, you got to get it out there. And I told you last week, that's the same way that yesterday uh, Paul McCartney came up with that song. So he, he, he wakes up one day. This is a funny story. Keith Richards wakes up and notices that the, 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 the tape recorder was at the end of the tape when it had been at the beginning. Uh, and to, to get there, he would have had to hit play and record at the same time. How many of y'all children of the 80s know what I'm talking about? Got to hit play and record at the exact same time. And he's like, wait a minute, there's something on this tape. So he rewinds it back the 43 minutes or whatever the tape cassette could hold. And he gets to the beginning, pushes play. And you know what it is on the tape? It's him singing, I can't get no, 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 no. Satisf he's, the entire song, I can't get no satisfaction. And he didn't remember it at all. And then there's a big thump sound and almost 40 minutes of snoring. So he, in his <laughs> sleep, he wakes up and writes this dream song. It's become one of the greatest rock songs of all time. And, and then he snores for the, for the, the world would not have, I can't get no satisfaction without, without dreams. I think about uh, Robert Louis Stevenson, who one night had a bad dream, a bad dream about a man who was one way in one situation, one way in another situation, and, and he would take this medicine, and he would change from this, this, this mild-mannered scientist and this horrible, deranged monster, and, and halfway through the dream, he was screaming out in terror. So his wife wakes him up thinking, thinking no, this is bad, and, and in his dream, he wakes up and goes, no, the book's not done yet, and he goes back to sleep, <laughs> had the presence of mind to realize he needed to stay in the dream long enough to be able to successfully uh, capture all of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Frankenstein's monster came the exact same way. And, uh, and even, even little inventions, like the, the sewing machine needle. Uh, Elias Howe was trying to work on a way to mechanize what was ver a very slow process, needle and thread, and how slow that whole thing works out. So he was like, we should be able to make a machine that could sew for you, but he couldn't figure out where the thread would go. Now, of course, most needles have a pointy end, and then at the blunt end, they have a hole, the eye of the needle where you put the thread to. That's how you sew when you're sewing by hand. But he, he couldn't figure out how the needle would be arranged. He knew it wouldn't work that way to actually put the needle through uh, the, the, the garment. And just no, no idea was working until he went to sleep and had a dream where he was tied up and cannibals were dancing around him in a pot trying to cook him so they could eat him, right? How could God possibly work through that? Well, in the dream, he just noticed as the cannibals were dancing around the fire singing, all of their spears that they held in their hand had a hole right before the tip. And he woke up and went, I wonder. And he went and made a needle with a hole at the sharp point instead of at the blunt point. And the rest, as they say, is history. And that is how we have sewing machines with needles that can put thread through garment to this day. How different would the world be without dreams? And if it's true with music and true with literature and true with cinema and true with science, how much more true when it comes to the spiritual realm? 
because we discovered last week that in the book of Acts, on the day of Pentecost, the day the church was born, that it was inaugurated, the champagne breaking across the bow moment came as people began to have dreams and see visions. And Peter said on the day of Pentecost that that is what God had anticipated and God had prophesied would come to pass through the prophet Joel, that when the spirit had fully come and every single Christian was on an evil, uh, on an equal playing field, and we all stood on that level ground at the foot of the cross, then we could all expect to have the spirit upon every single one of us. And the day Moses longed for, where every Christian would prophesy, every son or daughter could have the spirit come upon their life, that you would know that that day had come to pass when there would be dreaming of dreams and having of visions, which is why we said that when God's spirit is on you, his dreams should radiate through you. Or to put it another way, it's dangerous to live as a Christian without dreams because that means you haven't opened yourself up to what God wants to flow through you. As the book of Proverbs puts it, where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. We've called this collection of messages a canary in a coal mine because from the 1890s to the 1980s, coal miners specifically would bring canaries, would bring birds with them down into mines because they could tell them if there was a dangerous lack of oxygen or combustible methane that would be an unsafe place to be for a human, and they would have early detection. As we think about Breast Cancer Awareness Month, which is October, and of course, cancer is something that strikes men and women both. In a situation like that, early detection is your best bet. It's the best possible thing to know ahead of time. That's why you shouldn't miss your yearly physicals. That's why you should be willing to go in and talk to your doctor, figure out what's going on, do self-examination, all of those things. Why? Because it's having a canary to tell you, hey, you're in danger. Canaries would know before a human body would be in danger, and you would have time to do something about it. And that spiritually is true, too. So we're identifying throughout this series, what are some canaries we can install in our lives to tell us we're headed in a direction that's not going to go well, that can tell us we're in danger? And one of them would be a lack of dreams, a lack of visions. Why? Because God, as he works through your life, wants you to be led through dreams and led through visions. Now, if you hear that, you're like, dang it, Levi, I have never had any breakthrough idea in a dream. All my dreams are weird or immoral or illegal, right? I mean, just <laughs> tell you, <laughs> join the club, all right? So, so, so rest assured, not all dreams happen at night. Not all dreams happen at night. The, the text doesn't just say young men and old men, young men, women and old women, manservants and maidservants are going to dream dreams. It also says they're going to they're going to have visions. And visions are, are basically dreams that happen by day. So we get to daydream. We get to be opened up to God giving us a, a picture of a future that we want to run toward. Something we want to see come into this world. A wrong that needs to be righted. Um, something that needs to be invented. Something that needs to be formed. Something that needs to be spoken into life. You are supposed to be a conduit of God's prophetic power flowing into this world. And as we open ourselves up to the Holy Spirit, we're opening ourselves up to being a part of that. So that's why it's dangerous to live 
without dreams, and in our lives, a lack of vision, because it leads to perishing. Without vision, people perish. We should acknowledge the danger of living without dreams, the danger of living with dull, flat eyes that don't sparkle. God wants your eyes to sparkle with excitement, with I wonder, with imagination. You would wake up full of anticipation and curiosity. And if you wake up with a sense of, oh, another day, can't wait till the weekend, can't wait till, you know, that, let me just tell you something. Your canary has stopped singing. And you should be paying attention uh, because your life is going to pass you by. And life is too short to live without that sense of Holy Ghost-infused fire that God wants for there to be. Life is not to be endured. It should be enjoyed. It should be welcomed. The, each new sunrise, new mercies, new excitement, new adventure, new mission. And so if your canary has stopped singing, pay attention. But today, I wanna, I'm going to flip this message on its head because that was all the danger of living without dreams. But, but now we need to like, like you know, you, you flip over a rock. It's like, oh, there's, there's a whole world under here too. Here's, here's what we need to go today. And the, the title of my message, The Danger of Living with Dreams. Because if you're going to open yourself up to life with dreams, there's some danger there too. Like, what danger? Message at a glance, opposition, confusion, ambition, and distortion. These are some of the dangers that you need to be aware of, like buyer beware, full disclosure. Go dream dreams, you're all but Levi. You'll come, I'm just like, cutting you off at the past before you come back and you're like, it was hard and scary and bad and there were monsters. Yeah, I told you they were there ahead of time. So here's the kind of stuff that lurks in the midst of a life of dreams. Let me just give you a 30,000 foot on these four things. And you can take a picture before they all go away if you want or screen grab it on your YouTube. Uh, why would there be opposition? Here's why. Because dreams are conflict magnets. A person choosing to live and fight for and walk in their destiny, a God-given dream, is inviting conflict, inviting jealousy, inviting opposition. Confusion. Why would confusion show up as you live your dream? Here's why. Because not all dreams come from God. Not all dreams are for now. Not all dreams are for you. And not all dreams, when they become a reality, are going to resemble what they looked like when you first saw them. Sometimes the dream is, sometimes the dream is just the seed. And when you plant a seed, what comes out doesn't look like the seed went in, the seed that went in. So sometimes a God will give you a dream, but that dream is just the seed, and we can foolishly hang on to the seed and reject what he's trying to actually do because it's not going to look like what it looked like when it went in. Like Joseph, who had this dream of his brothers bowing down to him. And, oh, I'm going to be, like, who wouldn't like that? That wasn't the purpose of it. What it would look like when it finally came out was him serving his brothers, him being positioned to change the world. It, it, was, it was much, much, much. So, so you might not get to experience what, what you think you're going to experience when the dream comes to pass. It might just be a clue. It might just be a seed. So it's confusing. And then we need to be aware of the fact that we're opened up to the danger of ambition, that following your dream could uh, cause you to uh, become in, a, in an unhealthy way driven to see it come to pass at all costs. No matter what corners I need to cut, no matter who I need to step on to get it done, that, that good drive has a shadow side to it. And then, of course, distortion. 
that our success, if we get the dream coming to pass, could distort and pervert how we see the world, how we see life. Your success could overwhelm your character. And then you end up tragically, like Jesus, who said, what, what good would it be to get the whole world to lose your soul? Or as one translation puts it, to lose yourself in the process, that your dream would distort you. you would, it would come to pass. You'd be living it out. But it would be like those bad caricatures, right? You see in movies who win the lottery, but just they burn their bridges with their family. The people who helped get them there, they turn their back on, and they don't dance with the one who brought them, and they, they let it all go to their head. So we don't want to end up falling prey to the many pitfalls that exist in a dream world. And so let's today make this our stated goal at the beginning of the message. We want to, if we're going to live a life of dreams, make sure our dream is from God and make sure our dream does not become God. Make sure, buyer beware, that your dream comes from him before you give your life to it. And then secondly, let's make sure that our dream never takes God's place because it will easily, if you let it, take his position. All right, so what do you do when you have a dream? Let's start there. What should you do when you have a dream? To unpack that, I need some help. And so to do so, uh, I enlisted the person in scripture who, in my estimation, more than anybody else, is qualified to speak to the subject of being a canary in a coal mine. And there is someone in the Bible who literally, that's his job description. And his name is Nehemiah. His job was cupbearer to the king of Babylon. Cupbearer. Do you know what that means? That means that the king was so paranoid and so worried that someone was trying to poison him and trying to kill him. And of course, you, know, you may not be able to kill the king on the battlefield, but if you can get some poison into his food, he's eating mashed potatoes and gravy. And, you know, so the king was super worried about that. So here's what they did in ancient times. And to this day, I mean, if you read up on what they do uh, when they're shopping for Air Force One, for example, for the president, they send teams to many different grocery stores. So they never have any idea uh, which, which food to poison that's actually going to get on Air Force One. And in those days, they just had a dude sitting there. In this case, his name was Nehemiah. And every time the king was hungry, he'd be like, hey, man, eat some of that. And Nehemiah's like, and the king would just watch him for a second. How do, you, how do you feel? <laughs> He's like, pretty good. Awesome. And he would eat it, right? He's like, just, there's no strychnine in my, in my Brussels sprouts. That was basically the whole thing. And only when Nehemiah successfully didn't die, uh, which is like really 99% of the time, greatest job he ever had in his life, right? Eating gourmet food, decadent, you know, wine, all of this. It's like then there's that one small chance you're going to die today. Uh, other than that, it was a wonderful job. So Nehemiah would just literally sit there and, and have a sip of the king's wine, and then the king would have it and, and, and all the rest. And so that was Nehemiah's job. In other words, he was the king's canary. As long as Nehemiah was still singing, the king would keep eating. But Nehemiah also presents a picture of what it looks like to have a dream to fight for a dream, and most importantly, to not be changed by the dream, but to still to, to stay as, as sweet in spirit as he is at the beginning when we first meet him. So I'm going to just give you just kind of like a, a big picture overview of what to do when you have a dream as seen through the life of Nehemiah. And number one, and most important perhaps, is pray about it. One day Nehemiah uh, bumps into some friends because he's living in Babylon. We'll talk about why he's there in a minute. 
but he, he asks about how, how Jerusalem's doing because he knows there have been groups of people who have gone to Jerusalem from Babylon to try and rebuild it, and they have been unsuccessful in those attempts. And he's told it's not doing so good, Nehemiah. Its gates are burned with fire. Its walls have been torn down. And in the ancient world, if you didn't have walls, you couldn't have a city. It was not a safe place to be. So the people of God were scattered and divided. There was no unity. There was no strength. There was no protection in the city of peace. Ironically, there was no peace in the city of peace. And when Nehemiah heard that, it broke his heart. So what did he do? Verse 4, so it was, chapter 1, when I heard these words that I sat down and wept. And I mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. So here's what we should do. We should make sure when we have a dream that the first person we talk to about it is God, that we go to him in prayer, that we speak to him about it, that we, we let him uh, begin the conversation with us. Number one, most important thing, you have a dream, tell God about it. Talk to him about it. Most people, and if you're Nehemiah, you would be talked out of your dream before you had even begun to even really have it because he, if, if I'm him, I would start to go, what can I do about it? I'm far away from Jerusalem. I don't have the resources. My, my job is cupbearer, not construction worker. I have no way to build walls. So Nehemiah ultimately is going to be gripped with a vision to focus on wall building and city protecting, which is so incongruent because that is not what he does professionally. But instead of, you know, talking about it, the merits of it, he just immediately begins to pray. I'm being gripped with something. God, maybe this is a God dream. Maybe this is a vision. And by the way, Nehemiah, we're never, ever told, had any of his visions or dreams at night. So this is an instance of daydreaming. Him just having these thoughts in his head. Man, I feel like I'm supposed to do something. Well, God, I'm going to talk to you about it. I'm going to talk to you about it. Write it down in your journal. Talk to God about it. Pray about it, number one. Number two, filter it through God's word. You have to filter your dream through God's word. Why? Because, sorry to break it to you, your dream might not be from him. Your dream might just have come from bad Mexican food. Oh, I don't know. I'm supposed to do this. Have this dream. Hold on a second. The Holy Spirit is not the only spirit. Jesus, as he was trying to fight for his God-given dream, had the enemy constantly trying to put other dreams into his head. Other dreams in front of him. Dreams that, you know, you couldn't argue were pretty good options. Man, you don't need to go to the cross. Just bow down and worship me, and I'll, I'll give you what you want. Well, not going to the cross sounds wonderful, right? Hey, hey, throw yourself off the temple, and angels will catch you. That'll get everyone's attention. Well, that would be a pretty good party trick. You know what I'm saying? Like, the enemy was putting these other dreams in front of him. So we have to realize that's at play for us, too. It could be that the enemy is trying to keep you from God's dream for your life by putting other dreams in front of you that are going to appear like shortcuts or easy ways to get maybe what you're after. So your dream might not come from God. It could just come from the fact that our brains are overactive, and it's one of the ways that your brain, apparently scientists will tell you, keep from having an image burned in the back of your head. So they just fire up these dreams just to keep motion happening so nothing gets burned in. They're putting stuff away, sorting what goes in long-term storage, short-term storage. And if you have really weird dreams, also, you should consider, what are you giving your brain to work with? What are you filling your head with all day, right, that, that causes there to be perhaps some really unsettling things? If we change what we're watching, change how late we're eating, change how much we're drinking or how spicy what we're eating is, right, it could be as simple as that. 
All right, so, so we want to filter the dream through God's word to figure out, is it from him? We're just in the prayer stage. We're just in the seeking stage. We're not going to act on it. I had a dream where I was sleeping with someone that wasn't my wife. Well, God must be wanting me to divorce my wife and just go. But hold on a second. Let's filter our dreams through God's word. Nehemiah does this. Remember, he says, verse 8, I pray the word, God's word, you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you're unfaithful, I'll scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the farthest parts of the heavens, yet, notice, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. What is Nehemiah doing? He's, he's being a miner, where you would get that mining pan, and you would take the mud, take the water, take everything, and you would filter it through this little basket. And what's going to happen? It's going to separate the precious from the worthless. Because the mud and the water is going to run out, but precious jewels are what's going to stay in the pan here. Nehemiah's got this dream. I'm a cupbearer in Babylon. Why am I in Babylon? Because the Jewish people were scattered out of Jerusalem because they weren't living according to God's promise. They were kicked out of Israel, as God said would happen. But Moses said, if you get kicked out for your bad behavior, if you seek me with your whole heart and come back to me, I will regather you back to Israel. I'll regather you back to Jerusalem. So as Nehemiah is sitting there with a dream of Jerusalem being rebuilt, he cannot deny this does line up with God's word. This is something God has said he will do. And there seems to be a growing awareness among the Jewish people for him. And it could be that I'm a part of it. So he can't, that's, that's the wonderful thing. Many of the dreams and visions and ideas of what our marriages should look like or what it should, our families should look like or our kids should look like, if we just take that vision, take that picture and run it through God's word and we don't just start running off without remembering the word the mom gave us, as Proverbs said, and remember the word the father gave us, and it's going to, as we roam, keep us and stabilize us. And as we sleep, it's going to guide us. Once we filter them through God's word, we can cut off a lot of unnecessary heartache at the pass. Peter said that we're going to dream dreams, Holy Spirit dreams, the idea of anything's possible, the idea of, of world-changing inventions. I believe it. I believe it all. I believe God could do some radical, ridiculous, you know, wild things in your life, but we need a seatbelt. We need guidance. We need ballast. The higher you go, the more important ballast becomes. Almost all small aircraft uh, fatalities, if you look at it, is planes improperly balanced, too many people, too much luggage, really wealthy people go, well, I'm bringing this stuff. And the pilot who should put his foot down and go, this is not safe, is going, all right, well, let's just all get in. And you think about how many people die in planes that had the wrong amount of ballast, the wrong amount of weight. Sometimes you'll have a pilot get on and say, we need some people from the front, move to the back, the back, move to the front. Why? The pilot knows how important ballast is when you're up really high. I believe God wants you to soar with wings as eagles, church. I believe for a, a life of dreams. I believe for a life of signs and wonders. But what do we need? We need ballast. We need that strength upon our neck, like the necklace that Solomon talked about. And, and Peter, who was the one who was like, this is that. We're not drunk. We're just high on the most high. He also said, 2 Peter 1, we have the prophetic word confirmed which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture 
is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. He's saying the way to navigate through this dangerous world of living lives of crazy, awesome dreams is with the ballast of God's word where we can run it through. This is so important because no one gets into a cult on purpose. And most people probably don't even start cults on purpose. You know, you don't want to accidentally find yourself off the reservation. So we want to run our dreams through the filter of God's word, which Psalm 119 says is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So as we dream dreams, let's make sure like Joshua was told that we don't let God's word depart from our mouth, but we meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you have good success. It's noteworthy that every time the devil tried to dangle a shiny dream in front of Jesus so that he wouldn't fulfill his God-given dream, Jesus responded, how? It is written. It is written. It is written. He knew that the enemy uses dreams to keep us from dreams, and he used God's word to keep him on the right track. Jesus did. Number three. When the door opens, step out in faith. Nehemiah uh, just has this dream. At this point, all he's done is pray and consult scripture about it, but it's in his heart. And one day, this is an amazing story. When you read the book of Nehemiah, you see Nehemiah show up to work one day, and the king goes, hey, wait a minute. You're bummed out, aren't you? And you're like, how would the king know? He was very, very meticulous about Nehemiah's facial expressions. He was looking for any sign <laughs> of I've been poisoned, you know? And one day, Nehemiah, who's just bummed out because Jerusalem's walls are broken down, right? The king's like, hey, what's the matter with you? He's like spitting out his food, you know, like making himself vomit, like to get rid of like whatever I ate that Nehemiah is dying from. He's like, is it ricin? It's ricin, isn't it? And, and Nehemiah goes, it's not ricin. Come on. And the king's like eating activated charcoal. He's like, stop, 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 stop. I'm just sad. And the king says, why are you sad? Now a door's been opened. So what does Nehemiah say? Oh, it's nothing. It's probably nothing. Probably nothing's going to happen. Just minimizing the dream. Some of you do that. Instead, Nehemiah says, I'm sad because my people are not from here. They're from Jerusalem, and there's no walls there. My father's city lies in ruins. The king hears that and goes, that is sad. What do you want to do about it? Cupbearer. It's like, I, you're right, I'm a professional cupbearer. How, forget, it, forget I brought anything up. No, he doesn't do that. The door's open now. God's in it, it would seem. So he just says, I'd love to go. I'd love to build it. I'd love, I'd love to, if I build it, they will come. I'd love to feel the dreams of this situation, man. Like, that's, it's in my heart. I can't deny it. I feel this vision. You know what the king does? The king goes, how much do you want? And grabs his checkbook. And Nehemiah is like, it's going to be a lot. It's expensive, right? <laughs> and what I've discovered is that when you are walking in vision, when you are walking in what God calls you to do, he has the way of supplying. He, has, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He'll bring the right people. He'll cause there to be right support. He just puts the right, I'm just believing there are going to be the right people around you who when the time's right, if you take that step of faith and say, here's what I want, vision attracts resource. Where there is no vision, the people perish, and the funds perish too. But where there's a big vision, people get behind that. 
People want to support that. People, people want their lives to be a part of that. They realize that, that not every dream has to come from them. So now the king's getting down with this vision. He's like, what? And then Nehemiah is like, he's just on a roll. So he's like, you know what I'm going to need to? Bodyguards. So there's probably going to be people who are trying to kill me. He's like, I'll send my bodyguards with you too. And he's like, I'm going to need um, a passport in case anyone says I shouldn't be there. He's like, you got it, bro. What do you want else? And, and he's like, I'm going to need to cut down trees from your special king forest. And the king's like, cut them all down. Like, it's just, it's, he's, he's just, he's going, he's driving an 18-wheeler through that door that's been opened. And there's going to come the time when you need to step out in faith and not be timid as well. Have that dream ready to articulate. So when the right venture capital person has, gives you 20, so they're not going to give you time. Don't you dare bring your laptop and do a PowerPoint presentation at a breakfast table, all right? You just have that thing in your heart where you can, in 20 seconds, you can unpack that thing. Here's why this matters. Here's, that, here's how this counts. And, and don't ask, you don't get, use your wish for more wishes. Well, I'd really love to have two more hours to tell you about this in my boardroom, Ugh, right? <laughs> you better go. You better be ready to sell. You better tell me why this is the great. You see what I'm saying? When that door opens, Nehemiah didn't say, King, I'm going to need some time to come back. With the cup in his hand, he's explaining everything about how this wall was going to work. There's going to be a serpent gate, a dung gate. I'm going to get the people over here. They're going to be over there. And the king's like, Bro, I have had you at the wrong place in my administration, clearly. You know what I'm saying? Like, you are just clearly ready for a different level. So that's number three. When the door opens, step on a faith. Number four, but be selective who you talk to about it, especially while it's still a baby dream. Babies are vulnerable. Why did the devil try and kill Moses when he was a baby? Why did the devil try and kill Jesus through Herod when he was a baby? Why is the devil still trying to kill people who are going to do great things when they're babies today? Because things need to be protected when they're babies. Things need to be protected when they're small. And dreams are no exception. And so Nehemiah, this is so wise. This is one of the, to me, the most important verses in the whole book. You see the great wall, you're like, wow. No, no, no. It was wisdom back here. Chapter 2, verse 12. I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem, nor was there any animal with me except the one on which I rode. Nehemiah understood the power of agreement and the power of discouragement. And they both at times work together. Jesus said, if two or more agree together on something, it's going to happen. But that's not just true for good. It's also true for evil. And Nehemiah knew this thing was still so small. If he told the wrong person about it, he might easily be discouraged from, from doing it like God showed it to him. And so he told the king, yes, and there was the right voices, the right elders, but he was just really selective. He, did, he didn't give everybody the ultimate picture because he knew it was vulnerable there. It was still a small thing there. The time wasn't right there. So wisdom holds things back. Mary, the Bible says, the mother of Jesus, she kept these things and pondered them in her heart. She didn't sit there at the playground with every Lululemon-clad soccer mom saying, my boy's going to walk on water one day, right? I mean, she had these things in her heart, these dreams, these, these visions. They, they, they weren't all for then. And so you need to do the same thing about it. I remember how, how discouraging the small dream was for, for us at the very beginning. One of the very first messages I ever gave at Fresh Life, uh, 
someone walked up to me back then, you know, if we didn't have a team and like the book of Acts there are some who pray and give themselves over to teaching and others who attend the other practical things. But it's one man band when you're starting out, right? It was, I would hold Livia while, while Jenny led worship and then we'd switch. She would hold, it was, that was, we were the child care too. <laughs> Livia was the only baby when the church started. And, and, and so then Jenny takes Olivia and goes in the back and, and I'd get up there and preach. And, 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 you know, I stood at the door and shook every hand on the way out. And, and, and one of the very first people that walked through, one of the very first messages I ever gave at this church, man walked up to me and said, good sermon. I said, thank you, sir. And he said, but this will never work. Just so you know, this will never work. I was like, thanks for coming also. And, uh, right, like, uh, he said, I felt like I felt, I felt Lucifer in that word right there. This will never work. I said, well, that's your opinion. And he's like, no, it's been tried before. It's not going to work. And I just remember walking away from that moment and I felt like it was right then and there a, a chance for me to either agree with this or to disagree with it and to find someone who's going to speak faith into it. And one of my greatest ride or die, absolute amazing gifts in you is the way that you have always latched on to and spoken life into. And if it's a dream that God's given me and as we fight for it, you've always said, this is from God. And we're going to see God do impossible things no matter where, no matter what. And so thank you for the way you've always spoken life into my dreams. And I remember lying, remember lying in bed that night with you. And I remember saying to you with that word in my heart, maybe we made a mistake. And maybe we shouldn't have come here. And maybe we should have stayed in California. And in my mind, I was ready to give in and agree with this man who's telling me my dream's never going to work. Because he was speaking to a lot more than just that day. And you in that bed said, hey, God called us here. He's going to do it. Let's keep going. Let's keep fighting. Let's keep building. And so I just would encourage you in your dreaming, be selective. Not everyone's opinion should have equal weight. And you need to find some people of faith who, when you're ready to speak and give a glimpse into that dream, that they're willing to, to, to fight for it. And I remember at a really low moment in 2020, I had really been hanging on by a thread in some ways and some new visions God was giving and some things he was doing and really low. And I called my friend, Pastor Stephen Furtick, and told him about a God dream and told him about some things that God was doing in my life. And he just responded saying, this is huge. What God has you doing is huge. It's going to shake the world. It's going to rattle. It's going to be strong. It's going to be big. And I'm just encouraging you. That's what's so wonderful about us and each other is out in this world where it can be crazy and discouraging. And you should not make your first stop once you have your dream Instagram story and just put it out there where you just let any idiot with an internet connection speak into it, where you find some people of faith who will pour some oxygen on your dream in Jesus' name. Number five, when the time is right, put your whole heart into it. Because no one has ever changed the world with half of their heart. And it is going to be a slugfest if you're going to see your dream realized. And it's going to be a marathon, too. And I think one of the most frustrating things is hitting the halfway point of dreams. I think about Paul McCartney and the, the song Yesterday. Well, he woke up with the song Yesterday, the melody in his head, Yesterday. All my troubles. But he, I told you last week, he didn't have words for it. So he just kept singing scrambled eggs. Scrambled eggs. Oh, my baby, how I love your legs. But not as much as I love scrambled eggs. 
And for 18 months, all he had was a dope melody and scrambled eggs. <laughs> and we would not have yesterday had he not put his whole heart into it and continued on for the 18 months that it took to actually get the words yesterday. All oh, my troubles seem so far away, but now it seems as though here to say. I mean, those, those came through, 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 it came through movements. And it's going to take a continual application of your heart. And the Bible says that we will receive the harvest if we don't lose heart. One of the easiest ways to lose heart is to get to a halfway mark. In the book of Nehemiah, there's this point where it says, and the wall reached half its height. Oh, we've got to do that all again. Have you ever cleaned the garage and pulled everything out in the driveway? We're cleaning this thing out, man. I'm sick of it. We're going to park in our garage for once in our freaking life, you right? <laughs> so you pull everything out. And you see it, and you're like, make it stop. Make it go away. This is much more than I thought. The halfway mark, ah, right? Keep your heart in it. Number six, don't be discouraged by humble beginnings, distractions, or detractors. The moment Nehemiah starts building, these people start coming out of the woodwork who just literally stand there. They go, hey, idiot, your wall sucks. Thank you for that. <laughs> What wall are you building? None, but yours is dumb. <laughs> it's not even helpful. There's a guy who shows up one day and he says, I bet your wall's so bad that if a fox jumped on it, your wall would fall over. Thanks, Cletus, right? I really appreciate that. That's in the book. Fox will jump on it or thing will fall down. And you know what? As you fight for your dream, there's going to be the fox guy too. And some of those things, they just get stuck in there. So you have to keep going through detractors. You have to keep going through distractions, too. Because when the group of people who are trying to talk them out of it at first realize that's not going to work, you know what they do? They start to get more serious, and they say, we're going to kill you. We're, gonna, we're literally going to, you will never know, you'll never see us coming. We're going to kill you, though. Death threats start pouring in, which is not what I signed up for, like, when I called, like, to raise my hand to be a pastor, by the way. And yet it happened. Never forget the day the FBI called us and said, out of the death threats you're getting, we understand you're getting. I was like, yeah, we get them every once in a while. Uh, they said, well, we have reason to believe some of them are a little more credible than others. I was like, oh, frick, right? It's like, <laughs> you, you don't want it. Like, hello, First Life Church. Uh, this is the FBI. It's like, ha, 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 Chris, you're such a jokester. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> no, we're like actually the FBI. And there is someone who we think actually has reason to believe can kill you. They know what exit you use. They know when you come. Oh, they know when you go to sleep and when you get up. And they're probably going to kill you. And that was Nehemiah's life. You know what he did? Nehemiah, some people are like, why does the church have security? Because uh, we love you and we love living. Um, <laughs> churches shouldn't have security. Mm, speak softly, carry a big stick. It's, it's a thing. Um, here's what it <laughs> says in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 4, verse 17. Those who built the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other hand they held a weapon. Y'all, that's some Montana preaching up in here, right? Y'all, I love it, right? He, he had all of his workers work equally at building as, and as at defending, and so must you. 
The point is you have to defend the vision. You have to keep defending yourself against the discouragement and the distractions and the detractors. Then when they realize that's not going to work because there's a, sh- a sword in one hand and a shovel in the other, they start to go, you know what, Nehemiah, we've, we give up. We're on your team now. We're on team wall. We want this wall built more than you do. So let's meet and talk about it. Come down from the wall and meet us. Come down to the plane called Ono. And Nehemiah was like, oh, no, it's a trap. So you got to say, oh, no, to oh, no. You know what I'm saying? Like, and just what John Lennon would have said, we would still have the Beatles. That's all I'm saying, right? It's, it, it's a thing. It's a thing. Number seven. No matter what happens, don't be defined by it. If you do the following, you make sure you've prayed, you make sure it's from God, you let the right voices speak into it, you put yourself under authority, all of those things, no matter what happens, win or lose or draw, don't be defined by it. But keep serving and keep going and keep dreaming. It's just as easy, maybe more easy though, to be defined by a loss. Because sometimes we're going to get it wrong. Sometimes we're going to try and fail. And sometimes there's, it's just going to stay scrambled eggs, right? And you've got to abandon it and eventually move on. And that's a thing, too. But don't be defined by Don't be defined, right, like, like Rudyard Kipling said, if you, can, if you can meet with success or failure and treat both of those imposters alike, right? If you, can, if you can realize you're not defined by a loss and you're also not defined by a win. You're, I, was, I, was, I never go in my DMs, but I was, in, I was in my DM the other day, and I saw this DM from this guy who was like, you're a fraud. You don't love Jesus. You hate people. Everything you've ever done is a lie. You're leading people to hell. You're the Pied Piper of spirituality, you, and you're the worst. And I was like, that's awfully discouraging. Why did I go in my DMs? And then I was like, oh, weird. That guy wrote me two years ago. He's like, dear Pastor Levi, your ministry saved my marriage, saved my family. God used you in the most incredible ways. I know you're prayed for around the world, but you're prayed for by me too. And I just want you to know I am on my knees for you anytime you need it. And I was like, huh. <laughs> it was just right there on the same screen. And I told Jenny, I said, I said the, the thing is, I wasn't as good as he thought I was two years ago, and I'm not as bad as he thinks I am today. I'm somewhere in the middle, hopefully trying to just keep serving God and keep showing up. And I want you, badly, to not make the mistake of being defined by your failures and shortcomings, nor being defined by your successes, because that is to make the mistake of taking a God-given dream and giving it God's unique place in your life. I'm going to close with this. I was on um, the news and saw, like you saw, like Sarah Blakely sold a big portion of her company Spanx, right? However many millions of dollars she sold in this uh, billion-dollar company she built. And it's an amazing story. I've talked about it before. Sarah Blakely started the company Spanx, which was valued as high as over a billion dollars with a $5,000 investment. That's all she could muster. She was selling fax machines for a living. And 21 years ago, she fought for this dream that everyone said wasn't going to happen and wouldn't work. And there was a thousand reasons to not believe. But, but she persevered, and it became this, this phenomenon, Spanx, right? Controlled top for the muffin top. It's a thing. That's her words, not mine. And, and so um, her husband got on Instagram, Jesse Itzler, and I follow him because he's just a fireball and loves cold water and punishment in the sauna as much as I do. And he wrote on Instagram, he said, the world is going to read this week about Sarah Blakely's billion-dollar company and however many millions she has now, but so many people are going to miss, miss what's most important. And that is the fact that she's not 
just this, this tycoon, you know, she woman, hear me roar. He, he said they don't know that she, throughout all those 21 years of this journey, never missed her turn in the carpool line. And she didn't ever stop showing up to me as a, as a wife, never stopped returning the calls and loving family, her brothers, her si- like she was a good daughter through this. Like the 21 year journey to me, yes, I celebrate the millions and all that she's done. But to me, I, I see the way that, I see what she hasn't given up just as much as what she has seen God do. I just love that picture. And the picture is a person who's doing what God has put them on the earth to do, seeing that dream come to pass, but not taking their identity from it. Remembering that what you do in God's kingdom is never who you are. And when the disciples came back excited that they had done great ministry, Jesus said, just be happy your name's written in heaven. Don't be happy that demons are subject to you. Don't be happy you can make a billion dollar idea. Great, if God gave it to you, awesome, do it. A lot of good can be done, but don't take your identity from it. How do you do that? How do you stay small? How do you stay hungry? How do you hold it all with a light touch? Well, I see it in Nehemiah's willingness to never stop dreaming, but also still do the small things well. Because when the wall was built, do you know what he did? He went back to the king's palace and grabbed the wine glass and went to bring it to the king. He never stopped serving. He never stopped doing a small thing because he was now doing big things. There's a lot of people who in the dream takes off and becomes successful, will end up doing what Jesus said not to do, selling their soul and turning their, their back on the people who fought for them and were with them there early on. I also see that Nehemiah, his story illustrates that the revival of the people was just as important as the renewal of the place. Chapters 1 through 7 are all about construction, but chapters 8 through 13 are all about formation. So it can't be in your dreams just the externals of what you're doing to the neglect of who you're becoming along the way. God has more for you than you would ever possibly imagine, but you need to keep walking with him and keep the close relationships, the important relationships in your life tight as well. Otherwise, you're going to get to the end. Having climbed this whole ladder, and from the tippy top of that ladder, you're going to look down and realize your ladder was leaned against the wrong wall. And that your gifts and your passion and your charisma took you to places where your character and your integrity couldn't sustain you. Now, I wanted to end this message, and we're really done now, I promise. Answering the question that I know for some of you is in your heart. Levi, I'm in. I see both the dangers of not having dreams and having them, and I want to have them. You would just say to me, Levi, how do I start? Where do I begin? And here's what I would would say to you. I would say the four steps you should take as the application of today's message is to confess, to ask, to pay attention, and to participate. Confess is where you begin. Confess all known sin in your life. Is there an area in your life where you've already known for some time the canary has stopped singing, but you've been ignoring the fact that there's been that repeated conviction? Confess all known sin in your life. God's not going to give you a, a new thing to do when you haven't done the last thing he told you to do. So start there. Number two, ask. How do you ask for dreams? Well, there's a really cool prayer in the Bible, and it's speak, Lord, your servant listens. So I would encourage you before you go to sleep at night, what if you spoke that over your pillow? Speak, Lord, your servant listens. I'm open to dreams if you want to send them. I'm open to visions if you're willing to give them. Ask for them. 
Jesus said often we don't have because we didn't ask. So let's ask for dreams. Let's ask for vision. It's very specific. Number three, pay attention once you ask that question. Because God might be giving you the answer to your question, your, your request, but you might not recognize it. And you're, there it is. You're like, well, ask, ask God, give me more dreams. And he's like, I gave you, I'm giving you one right now. And it might look like the answer to these three questions. What breaks your heart? What gives you life? What can't you shake? What breaks your heart? What gives you life? What can't you shake? First life for me was just something I couldn't shake. As much as I didn't want to, and it wasn't even on my radar, I just couldn't shake the thought we were supposed to. It was like a little nagging splinter. What breaks your heart? What is, what is in your heart that really causes you to feel like Nehemiah did, sad? Maybe you're supposed to be a part of meeting that need. And what gives you life? What are you just naturally good at? What do people tend to come to you asking for? Maybe there's something there. And then lastly, participate. Because God's got a dream too. And if you're like, well, I don't have a dream. God's like, I'll share mine with you. What is, what is that dream? Here we go. 1 Timothy 2.4. God desires all to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. It's the Great Commission. It's God's plan to take the gospel and to make sure not, not a boy, not a girl, not a man, not a woman on the face of the earth has to live without hope and has to die with fear. And if we participate in God's dream, we will be a part of other people's dreams coming true in Jesus' name. Come on, give God a good amen. So, Father, we're listening. We're aware that you're speaking, you're moving. You care for each of us. Help us to not miss out through distraction. Help us to not be changed in the process of dreaming through distortion. May we make sure our dreams are from you and make sure we never mistake our dreams for you. If you would say some part of this message has touched you, could I ask Church Online, every location, you would just raise up a hand just to let God know, God, I hear you. I hear you speaking to me. I want to dream dreams. I want to have visions. But I want to be a servant of the King, most of all. I want to be your child. Father, bless these whose hands are raised. Pour out your spirit upon them. Refresh them. I pray specifically, and I feel, just feel led to pray for some people who are discouraged. And they've believed lies other people have spoken over them. And I pray for a freshness. I pray just truly for some of that dust to be shaken off. For, I pray for a sense of renewal, a sense of invigoration. I pray for fresh rain to fall. I pray for the sunrise to every single morning speak of potential. I pray for your people to step foot on the ground at the side of their bed every day and to spring out of it with excitement to see what you're going to do that day. You could put your hands down. I want to invite now as we close this gathering, anybody who's come but you've never given your heart to Jesus, to do so. We never like to close the service out without a chance for someone who's hearing all this going, but I'm not a Jesus person. I don't, I don't know him. A chance for you to make that decision. It's with urgency I preach the gospel because I speak as a dying man to dying people. All of us have an expiration date. We don't know what it is, but it's coming for us. And the Bible is clear that he who has the son has life. He who does not have the son does not have life. It's very exclusive. Jesus' claims to being the only way to salvation. 
but he loves you enough to send his son Jesus to save you. And he's doing that now. The door is open now if you would come. So I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you want to be included in that prayer, here's what you're doing. Here's what you're deciding. Here's what you're receiving. At the cross, Jesus paid for all of our sin and purchased salvation. When he rose from the grave, he defeated the power of sin, death, and the grave once and for all. And he offers that eternal life to anybody who will follow him as Lord. This is a chance to turn from sin, to turn to him as Savior, and to follow him as Lord. And if that's what you would like to do, pray this prayer with me. I'll pray it out loud and give you space to say it out loud to God. I'm going to ask the church family to say it along with us to show that we're with you on this journey. Say this and mean it. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I'm broken. I'm lost. I need you. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. Thank you that Jesus rose from the grave. I turn from my sin. I turn to you in faith. Thank you for new life. I give you mine. Ooh, what an amazing week. We're so glad you tuned in for this broadcast that you're with us today. Canary in a coal mine, dreams. And uh, we just have so much more that's in store. Two more weeks of this series. And then we're going to be kicking off a new series of messages called The Golden Spike on November 14th. We would love to have you with us as we kick that off. And some new dreams God has for us as a church. I believe it will encourage you how to unleash dreams in your own life. It's going to be fabulous. Also, uh, we are excited about Flourish coming up. Flourish. November 10th. November 10th. November so, 10th. November. 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 Uh, we're so excited and you're invited. Um, junior high girls all the way, all the way up um, 64, are invited. 98, <laughs> all um, the women. It's going to be so special. Um, please register and sign up, but also bring a friend to a location nearest you. Or um, start your own watch party. Start your own and host your own Flourish watch party. We have everything you need to create your own. So uh, make sure you register, sign up, and we'll see you there.